Welcome to Authentic Health Fridays on The Jason Wright Show. This segment empowers you to reclaim control over your well-being and live a life aligned with your body's natural design. I am thrilled to guide you through insightful conversations and practical advice all geared towards helping you achieve the vibrant and balanced life you deserve. In this dynamic series, we have the privilege of tapping into the expertise of a true visionary in the field of health and wellness, Dr. Gus Vickery, the founder of Authentic Health located in the scenic heart of Asheville, North Carolina, is more than just a renowned author and speaker. He's a beacon of wisdom in the world of precision medicine and integrated health. Each episode, Dr. Vickery will be your trusted companion on a journey to unlock the secrets of authentic health. Drawing from his extensive knowledge and expertise, he'll share invaluable tools, tips, and information to guide you in understanding your body's unique needs and embracing the principles of precision medicine. Dr. Gus Vickery, we're back for another Friday episode of Authentic Health Fridays. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, and I hope you are as well, Jason. I am, brother. I'm uh, I'm really ready to dive into micronutrients. I think this is something that's very important. I think it's something that, it, because we go into supplementation and the, the right foods to eat for proper performance, and both from a longevity standpoint and just functioning as humans, and also I think we're going to get into food quality again. I think this audience is going to, hopefully, I think every Every single time we do one of these, we end up talking about kind of like the nutritional quality uh, of, of, of the foods that we're eating. <clears throat> so if people aren't getting that we are big on what you put into your body is of paramount importance, then I don't know what we're going to do, man, because we're, we're trying to drive that, that point home. And we have failed mightily on what we're trying to talk about if people haven't heard that message yet. Exactly. Exactly. So... With that, let's just get rocking, and I'm just going to kind of throw it out at the most basic level so that people can understand. Let's just start with this. What exactly are micronutrients, and why are they important for overall health and well-being? I can't be more straightforward and basic than that. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a great question. <laughs> why does it matter? <laughs> um, well, this is, and why are we doing it today? Because we're walking through like the, the foundations of the body, of the health, of cellular health. And this is one is critical because of the role that micronutrients play. So micronutrients are what they sound like. They're small little nutrients that are critical for the body to function well. And there's a difference between micronutrients and macronutrients, but both are important. You may have heard those terms. Macronutrients would be carbohydrates, uh, fats, as well as amino acids to some extent, like protein, things of that sort. Those are all macronutrients and those are also critical. But the micronutrients are the molecules, small molecules, chemically distinct and unique that are found in our food and in our water that actually help maintain the structure and function of the human body. So uh, we've had this, we've talked about this before, food, is more that it's a lot of things. So I don't want to just say it's only these two things, but two broad categories of food. Food is energy, calories, typically from fats and carbohydrates, but also potentially protein. And then food is nutrients. The, uh, and the nutrients are the part of the food that actually maintain that structure and function of your body. And if you're getting plenty of calories, but you're not getting the nutrients to maintain structure and function, your body is going to break down. 
you might actually keep gaining weight, which seems ironic because mm-hmm. the structure is not supported, but you'll keep adding weight and fat, but you're not actually supporting cellular health. So the micronutrients are critical and micronutrient deficiencies create, uh, once they become severe, when you get into outright medical deficiencies, there are a number of diseases, actual diseases associated with these micronutrient deficiencies. They have names that are associated with their identification and you can still see, unfortunately, see evidence of them often in populations and or places in this world where they don't have enough of specific nutrients. And so we would get most of these from food, although some of the minerals that are also micronutrients we might get in water or in our be- any other beverages that we consume. And to some extent, um, while not technically considered a micronutrient per se, the category of phytonutrients, plant-based molecules that we often use it for biohacking uh, for health gains, but also support our body's basic processes. So like polyphenols, anthocyanins, these terms, they have fancy names, but essentially these are molecules that are often found in plants like coffee. And so if you make coffee and you're using an organic, right, natural uh, bean, then you're getting particular nutrients in your coffee or in teas and in other beverages of that sort. So the micronutrient weight, when I do intake on individuals, we always assess the full blood panel, but we always assess gut, toxicant, and micronutrient. Might not be the only things we assess. We may do mitochondrial membrane tests and other specialty tests, but we always get gut, toxicant, and micronutrient because that micronutrient status is so critical for uh, the building that foundation of health and sustaining it as then we can move deeper into optimization. So is there a genetic age and gender component to a lack of, or maybe sometimes if there is a possible overproduction of a particular micronutrient in the body, such as like there's some like, could I be somebody that just has this wild uh, ability to store or produce uh, vitamin E or iron or magnesium? And so, therefore, I would need supplementation. Or is it pretty much universal? I mean, I'll just stop there. Is there some something, is there correlations with genetics and age and gender on these things? There is. Um, now, when you ask about like some weird genetic polymorphism that has mm-hmm. a uh, kind of a marked effect on your uh, need for a nutrient or your ability to use a nutrient. Uh, Those are relatively rare. And there are some diseases, genetic diseases, chromosomal diseases that actually uh, do have, uh, you know, specific implications for things that you can't take in, like fetal fetal ketonuria, which is a disease that's identified right when a child's born, but they can't process phenylalanine. It becomes a neurotoxin. Now, that's a rare thing. And we usually screen for these, what we call inborn errors of metabolism, so that we can go ahead and modify early. But then there are all these genetic variations that might influence how much you need of a given nutrient. Some people will need more than others. Uh, and that, and that we use a genetic report that looks at the micronutrient genetics to predict that. It never is more important than an actual status report. Because the genetics could suggest, hey, you need more B12, you need more thiamine, um, you need less vitamin E, you might need more vitamin D3. It can predict those things, 
But then so much about so much of what informs your actual micronutrient status will be your specific diet and your diet over time and your gut health, which has a lot to do with both absorption of nutrients and processing of nutrients in your biome. So um, I always use status over the uh, genetics. Now, because we do genetics on my patients, we have them and I'll look at them. And I'll take that into account when designing a customized supplementation protocol, but I, it doesn't override what I actually see in real data. What's interesting is what I found is that the genetics for someone who's not supplementing, meaning they're not already putting stuff in their system, they're unusual, like they're predictive of where you would see more need. Like if the, the genetics suggest this is a person who's going to have a greater need for B vitamins and also perhaps challenges with nitric oxide production and things of that sort, they commonly, we actually measure that when we do their actual study. So it's pretty interesting. With vitamin E, it's interesting that you threw that one out because the vitamin E genetics are specific to developing inflammation and actual hmm. oxidative stress phenomena from excessive amounts of what are known as tocopherols. So vitamin E is not a single molecule called vitamin E. It's a umbrella term for different fat-based uh, molecules that have unique differences, but they're all similar and clustered under the term vitamin E. And that includes diverse tocopherols and tocotrienols. And these are different in their own way. The, as a class, the tocotrienols forms of vitamin E are more powerful antioxidants than the tocopherols, but both are really important. Vitamin E plays a number of roles in the body, but it's critical in the membranes. And we'll be talking about that today because Fatty acids in the health of the membranes of your cells and your mitochondria is key, 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 key. And it's like a big missing piece for most people when I first evaluate them. We go to work trying to re-fortify the membranes of the body. And if you're not doing that work first, then again, you're, you're kind of skipping step one. Um, so with vitamin E, um, it's a real interesting thing. And a lot of the listeners should actually pay attention to this and maybe even go look at their bottles that they're taking vitamin E. The vast majority of vitamin E supplements, especially just mass produced and you find them on a shelf at a big box store, are just a high concentration of D-alpha tocopherol. Like it's the most prominent tocopherol and it's a form of vitamin E. But that is not the only form of tocopherol. There's delta tocopherol, gamma tocopherol. There are all these differences and they have uh, different roles that they play, like different potentials for managing different oxidants that could be passing through cell membranes that could damage cells and how they might neutralize that. Same thing with the tocotrienols, which are even more powerful. And so these vitamin E, these diverse vitamin E molecules are speckled all throughout your membranes and they're playing an antioxidant role. They're helping to stabilize and neutralize things that could be damaging to the cell or the membrane that are coming in. So it's a critical one to maintain optimal status, but if most people, if they go out and start taking a lot of vitamin E because they read, oh, this could be good for my brain, they're taking a high concentration of only alpha tocopherol. The vitamin E is such a critical antioxidant in the membranes of cells. It's very protective and it helps protect the membrane and the cell itself from what are called oxidants that could penetrate and cause damage. And it's these, the diversity of the molecules of the different forms of the vitamin E, including the tocotrienol form, that's so important to manage these sort of diverse threats to the cell. And when you take a vitamin E supplement that is just a high concentration of alpha tocopherol, you end up with pretty less production of the gamma 
and Delta and other tocopherols that are important and you skew the ratios and you're actually creating a situation where your cells are more vulnerable, not less. Not only that, if you have specific genetic polymorphisms, the high tocopherols will increase oxidative stress and inflammation rather than reduce it. And so when it comes to vitamin E, I don't recommend most people just start on high dose supplements. I do recommend that they get food-based sources, you know, with organic, not roasted and nasty oil, seeds and nuts in small portions. And then uh, also, if they're going to supplement, I recommend them look for a combination of tocotrienols and tocopherols. Use some type of lower dose mix. With our, with our uh, patients, we'll have both the genetics that can predict that issue and the measurements to know if we need to a- address it. So you, yeah, you said something that made me think of one that I keep hearing people say that you can have too much of, although I'm sure there's other vitamins as well or supplements as well, but vitamin D, can you, mm-hmm. you can overdo it on vitamin D, correct? You can. I've yet to see ever, and I've had some patients with pretty high levels who were trying to use high-dose protocols for, there's some experimental protocols out there using high-dose vitamin D for autoimmune conditions and specifically multiple sclerosis and mm-hmm. we're having some promising results. I'm not advocating anybody go use those protocols. I'm just telling you that they exist. And so I've had some patients who use protocols like that, not that I put them on the protocol. They had placed themselves on it and had very high vitamin D levels. And I'm yet to actually see a person who had developed what we would call vitamin D toxicity. So I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know how risky that is. Nonetheless, as a fat-soluble nutrient, any fat-soluble nutrient to some extent is stored in the body. And depending on how you metabolize it, it could become problematic. You could develop toxicity. So with vitamin D, um, and I'll talk about it when we go through the panel, you know, I prefer approach of maintaining your normal levels of vitamin D through real food-based vitamin D sources, and then appropriate, if not, you know, if, it, if your dermatologist hasn't told you, you cannot get UV radiation, appropriate sunlight exposure uh, to help maintain that skin production of vitamin D. And then with the actual supplementation of D3K2, which is really popular, I tend to go with just more moderate doses of that if I use it at all to just maintain normal levels of D3 and K2. Uh, but the uh, D is one that you can overtake. So if you ended up using high doses, at some point you're going to want to get a blood level. It's really important to do that. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had a patient come in <clears throat> come in, and you said, wow, Sally, John, you need no supplementation. Your, your, your markers are absolutely perfect. Keep doing what you're doing. Have you ever seen that? I have. I may have seen it one time. I cannot remember if they needed any or not. I know they needed dietary modifications. You're going to laugh when I tell you this. I think James and Emily Quandall, which won't mind me using their name, <laughs> were the people who <laughs> I shocked that they didn't need additional supplementation. That makes sense because we're talking about two people who eat farm to table, organic, grow their own yep. stuff. I mean, they do do it right. And it shows in not only the in their their energy levels and the, the way they look, they're thin, they're they're lean, and that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's that's awesome. That does not that does not surprise me. And yeah, the, I, 
pretty sure that's the case. I do remember we did a micronutrient panel on Emily. I don't think she had any outright deficiencies. We found some areas for potential fortification, but only through food sources. She didn't okay. need to use Yeah. Okay. And so again, keeping this high level before we go through the uh, our our report for this week. Um, most of the people listening here, I guarantee supplementation, you walk into Whole Foods or Natural Grocers or Drug Emporium, and there are walls of supplements. It's so overwhelming. It's so nutty. I guess from a high level, how necessary, I mean, you know, there's always the 80-20 rule. You hear me talk about it all the time whenever we're talking business. Are there 20% of these micronutrients that drive 80% performance? And then if you go to Gus Vickery or Dr. So-and-so to do more precision, you you really squeeze out kind of the, you, you just really move the needle because you get so finite. I mean, h- how does one know what, where to even begin when they walk in, they see these walls of supplements. They've listened to an episode of the Jason Wright show, Ben Greenfield, Peter Tia, and they heard one they haven't heard ever. And so they go and they, they add that to the stack. I mean, how do you make sense of all this doc? Well, what we're talking about today are essential micronutrients. We know the body needs them. We know that they're essential for performance. Some of them may be more utilized than others and deficiencies can develop faster and have more pronounced subjective manifestations like fatigue or aches and pains or skin issues, but all of them are critical. And if you're missing any of them and sufficient levels to maintain function, it's going to affect your body and it's going to affect your health. So what we're about to talk about, these are just essential. You've got to get them. And uh, some of them, you can, to some extent, you can get them through food, but then having proper uh, supplementation to fill in the gaps for most people is going to be really important. Then you get into all the extras that you find in the health food store. And that's gut formulations, immune formulations, brain formulations, heart formulations. And they complain, contain an entire variety of different possibly nutrients and other uh, botan- like either botanical molecules or even perhaps uh, synthesized molecules we would typically find in animal products that have a potential health benefit or impact. And they may or may not be great for you. Um, you, So that's where it gets really challenging just to pick and choose and start throwing stuff into your system. And then having more of a, you know, at least a a a map of of the priorities. Because what I commonly see, I saw this today with a new patient who came in to see me, real remarkable man, uh, very, you know, engaged in his health. He's a healthcare professional himself, listens to all the podcasts, and he has this really robust stack that includes a lot of what you would expect if you're paying attention to those uh, podcasts where they're really getting deep into longevity and cellular programming. But it was, it was a hodgepodge. It was because it sounded good and maybe he should take it, but it wasn't like put together in a way that really made sense biologically. Um, and that's not criticizing what he's doing. This is, you know, he, he's a surgeon. He doesn't have time to go actually study all this the way that I do. But, you know, you know, if you're trying to improve, say, NAD recycling, that's a big topic. So you're looking at NMN or NR supplementation and whether or not that may help, it may or may not. But what is uh, that molecule built out of niacin? Well, if you're not getting enough niacin, you're really kind of like missing step one. 
And so that's why the micronutrient piece is foundational. And what I found with most of the people that I work with, and this is true of my own personal story, is as we address these foundations, one, we're getting 80% or 90% of that we wanted in terms of resolving the issues that we feel like were indicating possibly worsening health or poor health, losing weight, improving fitness, improving our cognitive health, sleeping better, aches and pains, getting better, gut getting better. That foundational issues take care of the vast majority of that. And then depending on our unique situation, our environment, our past challenges, and our specific goals, we can begin to layer in uh, formulations to enhance performance in various ways. And those can give you a little more yield. But in my experience that once you build that foundation and then you run some of the you know, more potent stuff through your system for a period of time to kind of juice the overall ability of everything to work well, you can really get back to minimal. Like it's amazing what your body can do with proper hydration, proper mineralization, proper nutrient density, pro healthy cell membranes, healthy mitochondria, proper rest, a natural, you know, exposure to natural light, use of your body, and minimize minimal toxic and exposure. It's pretty darn remarkable mm -hmm. the potentials we have when we just attend to those things. So most of my first visits. Um, you can imagine a lot of people who come to me are engaged and so they have lots of stuff. A lot of it's good stuff. I'm not telling them to throw it away, but we're really thinning that out and then beginning to build that foundation. And then later I might have them use it in rotations, depending on what we're targeting. Um, the high performance, uh, you know, kind of stacks, there's, there's three, well, there's more than a few, but there's, uh, you know, a, a handful of like move the needle, work at the root stuff that I would use and sometimes do that trumps like going and buying 15 products. <laughs> and like, right. it's like, it's like getting down into the root of the plant and like reinvigorating that, which makes all the leaves and flowers healthier versus going out and continuing to pick around at the flowers and the leaves, trying to get them healthy. You know, one of the things too, just and just for the listener out there, because I, I want to make sure I don't want to assume everyone knows the terminology. And by giving some of this kind of like just defi definition of terms, I'm not trying to say I assume that you all don't know what this means. But when, whenever Dr. Gus and I talk about a stack or a protocol, it's <clears throat> it's literally what it sounds like. You're stacking supplements on top of one another. It's a stack. It's a set of supplements that you will take so that I think. Gus, you brought up a very, very good point there that if you're taking supplement A, supplement B, but both of them don't work as well in the absence of C, then you might as well not even take A and B. You're just putting stuff in your body. I think that's something that's very important for the audience to know. And also, whenever we talk about protocols, it's literally what it sounds like. If, if you have a, a pilot flying a plane, all of a sudden engine one goes out, there is a protocol that an order of operation for him to fly that plane with only one engine or one less engine. So when we talk about protocols, let's say that you go to see Dr. Gus and your gut biome is wrecked or you're not sleeping because you're not getting enough oxygen at night and you're snoring and you're getting up to pee all the time. Well, then there is a protocol. There is something, okay, something's not right. You're you're my age, you're 48 and you're getting up and you're peeing four times a night. You shouldn't be doing that. Well, that means you're probably not getting well oxidized. So there's a protocol. You probably need some niacin or whatever the case may be. But just kind of to define the terms, <clears throat> I want people to make, I don't want to assume everyone understands what we're saying. 
uh, when we talk about protocols and stacks. And so, and it sounds, and one of the things too, I think that's really important for this audience to know, I think what we're about to go through with this um, report, Gus, is is it, it removes a lot of the mystery. <clears throat> you don't you don't overcompensate, and you don't take superfluous uh, molecules. But if you know where you are, I've always I remember this was a revelation that came to me about five years ago, where if you, that you can see your deficiencies and see what you need with a screen, and only supplement to the and again. Some things seem obvious, but this is what precision medicine is all about. It's giving you the precise dosage and supplementation you need as opposed to just kind of throwing everything at it and hoping some sticks and maybe you get too much, maybe you get not enough. But in the end, maybe in the aggregate, you'll, you know, kind of work out. This is a way to get precise. I think that's very important. The final thing I got to say is I got my micronutrients today because I just crushed that green monster, Gus, which I know I've, I've, I've made one for you before. Yes. And, I think I need to patent that thing. It is so good. It is so amazing. I, I really liked the Green Monster. And today, <laughs> you know, of course, you remember it well. We woke up. We had stayed up a little late talking because, you know, we had been in Uganda and you guys had stuff going on. We woke up. We chit-chatted. We hopped on a meeting with uh, James and Tim. We ran more stuff through our brains. Like, we didn't stop and eat, no. you know, four of us. And we're, and I was in a recovery from when I'd lost that weight and my body mm -hmm. was about like, we took a long walk, you know, I mean, and I said, <laughs> I, I ate that green monster. It was yeah. delicious. <laughs> I was up the rest of the day. Like it was so good. I well, love the green monster. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you. So, so folks, you take it from us. You start focusing on the getting the right nutrition all the way down to the, to, to the molecular level. It will have great benefits. So. With that tee up, um, you want to go start going through this case? Yeah, and I really appreciate what you said earlier about order of operations. That was the word I was looking for. We have a proper order of operations that, that restoring biological function and then optimizing biological function. And so I'm a big fan that the stores have all those products and have all these things that can help you. But for the average consumer, I think that you could end up wasting your money and potentially putting things in your system it doesn't need. And lastly, what I want to be clear is Jason and I are both in agreement on this. I believe, based on my understanding from an, from an anthropological lens of human history, we're designed to be able to go much further on much less. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I'm after. Not that I don't enjoy eating, I do, but overfeeding is highly problematic for a lot of reasons. It never feels good to us and it creates health problems. So we still want to enjoy food. We want to enjoy feasting. We want to enjoy really good stuff. But we want to restore uh, capacities that we know are in our system for this ability to, one, maximize the efficiency of how we assimilate nutrients and necessary molecules into our body for health. Two, how we store, recycle, and utilize those in a very efficient ways so that we don't need all these high doses. Because we know that 10,000 years ago, People did not have access to this level of nutrient support, yet they could, if they didn't have an infectious disease or trauma or something like that, live a long, robust life and be capable of high cognitive and physical potentials. Uh, and so that exists in our bodies. So as we restore, what we're hoping is that it's we can get back to these small doses, pulsed in in a cyclic fashion of different nutrients 
that our body will be able to utilize. Because I actually think that just like overfeeding, over supplementing can become a bad signal for a human system. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So that's critical to understand as we go through this, because this could look like, oh, wow, I need to take 15 supplements. Well, when we look at this report, you're going to see there's some need in this area. Ultimately, our goal is to help. And we're working this out. We're trying to solve the puzzle of what, and I, and I get to thankfully run the experiments in my clinic every single week and follow the data um, of how we can help everyone find the, the most simplistic, minimalistic solutions that solve these problems. So this is a micronutrient panel from an, an existing patient who, this is the first time we had done such a panel and this person has some gut and digestive challenge. All right, so this individual, it's a female, middle-aged female, generally healthy, does do some supplementation, but not necessarily nutrient focused. She's kind of like a classic example of what we discussed earlier. Good person, uh, reads a lot and has a lot of persistent connective tissue inflammation issues and gut issues. So this is her baseline micronutrient report. Now, when we're looking at this, here's the nutrient, vitamin A, retinol. Vitamin A is also carotenoids and retinol. We're looking at retinol here. Here is serum or what's in the blood. So this is outside the cell, what's available in the bloodstream for utilization. White blood cell, this is what's inside the cell. This is how much is actually getting inside the cell. The yellowish area is the normal range with a line in the middle that's like average. Now, the goal isn't just to be in the bottom end of the normal range. The goal is to be at least average. And if you're someone who wants to put high demand on your system, high performance, You'd rather be a little bit above average. This is really fluid. This can change quickly. So we try not to overinterpret the report. So what we're looking at here is somebody who, from a vitamin A perspective, is not deficient, but given they have inflammatory issues, yeah, you know, we probably would like this to be a little bit higher. Now, one thing to note is that what's in the blood will represent typically short-term status. What's come in recently? What's in the side of the cell will typically represent longer term status. What have we been getting into the body regularly? So when you see something like this, where vitamin B1 or thiamine is here, but inside the cell it's here, that could just be normal flux that's going on at the moment of the test. But that can also be she just started restoring thiamine levels and they've been depleted. Or it can be there's a transportation issue that the thiamine's getting into the blood, but having a hard time getting into the cell because most of these micronutrients do not have direct access into the cell. These are larger molecules. They can't just penetrate the membrane. They have to be actively transported or diffusion through specific channels. So there can be a real issue with transportation where a person who might be taking a lot of supplements has very high levels outside the cell, but minimal available inside the cell to complete what's needed for function. And we'll talk about the reason, one of the main reasons for that. So we see that with vitamin B1, vitamin B2, riboflavin, a very common deficiency, which affects something called methylation, among other things. So her outside the cell is barely on the map. Inside the cell is low-ish. So we know we probably need some more riboflavin for this person. I know she needs it too because she has a high level of what's called homocysteine, which is problematic. And so part of that's her riboflavin deficiency. B3 is niacin. 
So we have it out here, but not necessarily where we want here. So we're either depleting or burning through it in this cell, which we can do in high oxidative stress states. We'll burn through niacin or high metabolic states, um, or we're just not getting it in. Can I ask you a question while we're talking about niacin? Mm -hmm. Why does niacin make me flush and what is the difference? Because you told me that the the one that makes me flush is actually a little bit more effective than the no flush, right? But ma'am, if I take the just regular niacin that makes me flush, I, I wake up in the middle of the night feeling like I've got a sunburn. So what's going on there? Well, it's a complex biochemical response that creates this dilation of blood vessels and this flushing that can be incredibly uncomfortable mm -hmm. and comfortable enough that you don't want to take high doses. Now, usually this is going to be the pure but niacin, which is nicotinic acid, okay? So there are other forms of niacin, suppl ni niacin supplementation like niacinamide, which gets converted into niacin, but is not the same as nicotinic acid. So there's a difference between trying to maintain normal le levels of niacin to support the many cellular functions niacin is involved in, including the creation of NAD, which is a critical molecule. So on one hand, you know, just making sure you have good niacin levels is sufficient for that. So for some people, that's just a B-complex that has a small amount of nicotinic acid, maybe 50 milligrams. For others, it might be taking a higher dose of niacinamide to fully, more fully support it. When we use high-dose niacin, we're usually using it for a medicinal application. We're trying to get modifications in lipid profiles because High-dose niacin can, in fact, improve lipid profiles, lower triglycerides, improve HDLs, and simultaneously, it's one of the only molecules we know of or new, uh, that can actually lower something called lipoprotein A, but can be highly problematic for arterial plaques. So I'm typically only putting people on high-dose niacin when I'm, and using the real form that can make them flush because I'm trying to actually medically treat things that I see in their lipids or metabolic health. Otherwise, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna tell people to bother with high dose, what make you flush niacin protocols. Now, there's a lot of, you know, uh, like sort of anecdotal information about using high dose true niacin protocols and maybe having fitness benefits, metabolic health benefits, reducing hunger, accelerating weight loss. An individual will have to decide are those benefits if they're going to if they'll get them, which isn't proven, worth the discomfort of the consistent flushing. One other thing, there's a protocol to use it before you eat with an aspirin and potentially to eat an apple, and that can reduce your flushing. It can make it less problematic, but that's a lot to do every day just to get high-dose niacin in your system. So for most individuals, I'm going to simply recommend the nicotinic acid in the B-complex that I put this patient on level, which is not going to cause a flush, but it's going to support niacin. So if I'm taking, you know what I think I did, Gus? I think that there have been times, because it doesn't always happen, but at night I take, um, I, I, I've, I've split them up for, to day and night. I was taking all of my vitamins before I went to bed. And I have a B3 complex in addition to yeah. the niacin. You think I, that was probably, yep, <laughs> that's it, what... Yeah, that's probably what did it to you. Ah, wow. The things you learn with uh, Gus Vickery. Okay, so there you go, folks. I mean, and here I am. I'm supposed to know what I'm doing, and I'm overdosing on niacin, essentially. Yeah, 
Now, if I had diagnosed you, Jason, with a lipoprotein A issue and higher risk arterial plaque issue and dyslipidemia, then I might push you into a high dose niacin protocol and see if we can overcome that flushing issue because of the benefits. But for the average individual who has not looked that deeply into their health, I'm not going to tell them to put themselves through that. Okay. Okay. Well, good. Sorry, sorry I took us down that rabbit trail, but just niacin is something I take frequently. So I want to make sure I want to know what's going on. And niacin is something I recommend, especially for people who train hard because mm -hmm. it is the precursor. It's involved in a lot of things and your cells use a lot of it in high metabolic states, but it's also the precursor for NAD, which is critical. Okay. Then we have B6. Now, if you go online and read about B6, you'll read about toxic B6 and you can get toxicity with B6, even though it's water soluble. Sustained high level exposures can actually cause neuropathy and some other problems. However, it's rare to see that. Now, the reason we will see it is for hyper supplementers who are using both combinations of like energy support and workout support and using oftentimes formulations from companies that just load it up with stuff, they'll end up on ridiculous doses of vitamin B6, like 100 milligrams a day. You don't need more than 10 or 20 a day. And so I will occasionally see B6 levels that we would consider toxic. A person may not have a problem yet, and we actually have to cut it all back. But it, from a population health perspective, and what I see most commonly in patients I test, it's insufficient levels of vitamin B6. So you can see here that she's got a lowish level outside the cell and a near borderline insufficient level inside the cell. And this is a woman with a lot of fatigue and she's already got, as you can see, multiple B vitamin issues where we're not anywhere close to optimal, especially with the way she likes to drive her system. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll, I'll briefly talk about B vitamins when we wrap up these next couple here. So we have vitamin B12, a common target and a common deficiency. Most of my patients end up on some B12 support, at least temporarily. Now, she's using high-dose B12 support. So you can see why out here, it's sky high. And here, it's look where it is, though. So we're starting to see a pattern in her report also where, hey, there's a lot of, there's already a number of things where we're higher outside the cell, inside the cell. So the question we start saying is there transportation issues. Are we having difficulty shuttling these nutrients in the cells? And in her case, yes, we are. And I will discuss later, what do we do about that? Panthophenic acid, vitamin B5, and look at the levels, outright deficiency in the cell and barely here inside the cell. Mm -hmm. So commonly people are going and taking B12, methylfolate, uh, possibly they're getting energy supplements with B6, but they're commonly missing B5, commonly missing biotin, commonly missing riboflavin and thiamine. So there's one other B vitamin on this report. It's later down folate and her levels look good. So I have yet to, I mean, I almost never see a patient where just a good quality B complex is not an important part of their supplementation regimen. And I think a few things are going on. One is the gut issues are affecting the interplay of these B vitamins with absorption and utilization. Two, transportation issues, which we'll get into shortly. And then three, they're just burning through B vitamins because of their metabolic health conditions, immune system issues, and inflammatory issues. This person has all of the above, and they're just consuming the B vitamins that they have, and they need a lot more support, and they're not getting the density in the food that they're eating, even if they try. So 
As you know, as we work towards our authentic health unifying formulations to solve these problems for people in simple ways, the one synthetic thing that I'm like insisting that we'll put into our unifying formula is a B-complex. Because I think everybody that I see needs additional B vitamin support. It won't be sky high doses of all these B vitamins, but it'll be, you know, well over the RDA, the recommended daily allowance of the B vitamins. So that brings up a question. Whenever people see a B complex, any sort of complex, which means a, I guess all the subcategories of the primary B kind of blended, is it more of a Dr. Gus Vickery's um, understanding of the cocktail of or the complex of, of B vitamins versus Dr. Jane Smith's? Or is there a pretty universal understanding of the mix of B6, B12, B3 that needs to be in the complex. Where does your your expertise versus another doctor's come into play? Or do you guys all pretty much look at it the same way when we're talking about a certain complex like a B complex? I think we all see it similarly from the standpoint of foundation care. Okay. I think most of the doctors I would we would reference are doctors who also do deeper reports and look at vitamins and vitamin metabolites, and they may have specific reasons why they like one form or another or a higher dose of this versus that. What we're talking about today, though, is just foundational support for all humans. Yeah. And I think most of us would be in agreement on what that looks like. And in fact, if it's helpful to the listener, I can real quickly tell you what the, the B-complex formulation that I think is best for foundational support is real quick. So they get an idea of what that is. Yeah, if, absolutely. If that's the case, then let me get you to pause for just a second, Jason, and let me go grab that. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Go. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Uh, here. Okay. I'm, I'm, tell me when I'm live. You're live. All right. All right. Hey, everybody. We're, here. We're, we're back. So I'm going to read to you. This is my favorite blend. Partly because when I first started looking for a B-complex blend, this one stood out to me as the forms they're using, the doses and ratios is really well engineered. Two, I just trust the company and how they engineer things. Three, I've used it consistently in patients and remeasured reports and seen results. So I trust it. It doesn't mean you would have to use this. There are a lot of really good options. Um, I'll tell you also what this one is, but important to understand, again, Jason and I are never here to sell you stuff. But if you decide that, hey, if everybody he tests needs that B-complex, I might as well get it. We will provide a link for this product. It's the Thorn Company B-complex number six is what they call it. And we'll provide a link that is an affiliate link. It does mean that the company, Authentic Health, gets a small commission if you purchase. You also get a substantial discount. We uh, negotiate with them to give a bigger discount to our patients and less of a commission because we thought it was important to make sure we're creating that value. If you do decide to purchase, then we appreciate you using the affiliate link because the small amount of revenue that might create goes to supporting us investing more in just giving you this information. Is that okay how I said that, Jason? I think that was absolutely perfect, doctor. All right, well, good. So B-complex number six by Thorne, the thiamine is thiamine hydrochloride at 40 milligrams, for, um, and which is for most people a pretty good dose. The riboflavin, which comes in a couple of forms, is 30 milligrams. 
If I have a patient who has what is known as MTHFR variants, I might put them on 90 milligrams of riboflavin. The niacin as niacinamide is 80 milligrams. That's not a form that would cause flushing. And it's also uh, not a dose that would cause flushing. The uh, vitamin B, uh, my vision, let's see. Yeah, um, this is your vitamin B6 at 10 milligrams. This is your folate in the form of methylfolate is 334 milligrams. Your vitamin B12 as methylcobalamin is 100 micrograms. For people who need a lot of B12, it'll usually be an additional B12 of 1,000 micrograms. The biotin dose is 80 micrograms. The pantothenic acid dose is 45 milligrams. And then they throw a little bit of choline citrate in there at 14 milligrams. Technically, choline's not a B vitamin, but it's helpful for everyone. So that's a comprehensive blend. You get your thiamine, you get your riboflavin, you get your niacin, you get your B6, you get your B12, you get your folate, you get it in good forms and ratios. And for a lot of people who are healthy, this is all they're going to need. This is going to top off those B vitamins comprehensively. Now, for some individuals, I am going to need to add some additional choline. I'm going to need to add some additional uh, B12. Choline's not technically a B vitamin, but as a base starting place for most people, that's what I love right there. Perfect. Appreciate that. Yeah. And again, we will include a link to that for the uh, the Thorn vitamin B complex that uh, Gus just mentioned. Yeah. So we already have clear reasons why this person could be tired and could be dealing with challenges just in the initial collection of B vitamins and then the vitamin C level here. So outside the cell looks good, but inside the cell and vitamin C has to be transported as well. Pretty low and vitamin C is a critical antioxidant. It's also critical for collagen formation. It plays so many other roles. So if a person has connective tissue issues and chronic inflammatory issues, then this low level of vitamin C is really important. When I address vitamin C, I prefer to use whole food vitamin C, whether it's supplement or food sources. If somebody doesn't have a reason why they can't consume vitamin C containing foods, especially citrus, they don't have blood sugar issues and things like that. I recommend they increase their intake from actual food. But for most people, I'll still recommend maybe 500 milligrams of a whole food vitamin C uh, option. However, in some cases, it does appear that the pure ascorbic acid option sometimes might work a little better, but this might be more detailed than the listener needs, but ascorbic acid is not the entire vitamin C molecule. It's just a portion of it. If I have people go on to higher dose vitamin C to treat, to help them with immune system issues, I'll usually use a liposomal form because it does bypass transportation issues and saturate inside the cell. But you can overdo vitamin C as well and begin to create oxidant responses. So the antioxidant becomes an oxidant. Can I tell you a funny story? That's a funny story about overdosing vitamin C. Mm -hmm. So my dad used to go to my grandmother's every morning for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And she would, I mean, for her little boy, even in his 50s, he was her little boy. And she would make him breakfast and she'd lay out his vitamins. Well, it was cold season and she knew that however many milligrams she had read of vitamin C was good. So doubling up must be even better. Plus his glass of orange juice that she had for him. And so all of a sudden my dad's joints are starting to ache and like, you know, he's like, what is going on? 
Well, he figures out that my grandmother was just freaking hammering him full of vitamin C. But I do have a question about vitamin C as it relates to whole foods versus supplementation. It's the only one that you said immediately you prefer getting with whole foods. Is it because just it in its natural state, it is a higher dose than some of the, the micronutrients that we get from other whole food sources? What is it about vitamin C and citrus that makes that one one that you naturally point to the uh, whole food source? You know, vitamin C is so interesting because it's one of the nutrients like we are, we're, we cannot manufacture it in our body at all, right? We're completely dependent on it and it plays these important roles. And there are real questions about why did it drop out? Like, what was the reason it dropped out, you know, uh, our kind of uh, gene expression? And it's us and guinea pigs. <laughs> we're the two who don't make our own vitamin C. Every other mammal, really? I mean, there might be some others that I don't know about, but I'm pretty sure it's just those two. Every other mammal can make its own vitamin C. And so, um, one, it means that there's something about getting it from our diet that I think is really important, that it's probably not just vitamin C, that there were other things in vitamin C containing foods that maybe were critical for us. I don't know. This is just me working off the of theories of my trying to puzzle stuff out. Well, the other thing is that the vitamin C molecule is more complex than just ascorbic acid, which is just the shell of the molecule. And so, yes, there are a lot of studies demonstrating ascorbic acid can cause favorable responses in the body in the realm of antioxidants and supporting vitamin C catalyzed pathways in the body. But I believe that the whole food molecule, which is this more complex molecule, is probably more important. So... The only reason I would tell someone not to try and consume it, and not that citrus is the only place you can get vitamin C and m many other foods, but the highest concentration, of course, is in citrus. Well, many people might have blood sugar challenges mm -hmm. and eating an orange could raise their blood sugar considerably. But if you're not somebody who has that problem, then eating an organic orange is really good for you. It's got fiber and nutrients and hydration and minerals and vitamin C, a grapefruit, lemon, and so I'd rather people include those things in their daily repertoire of foods. Maybe it's not all three, of course. Maybe it's squeezing lemon into water in the morning or having a few, you know, lemon wedges that they kind of chew on and put in their mouth unless they have real issues with acidic damage inside their mouth and to their teeth. Um, if you have healthy oral biome and healthy mouth, you're probably not going to have that problem. Uh, lemon has a lot of other potential benefits too from citric acid and other things. I'd rather them eat half a grapefruit or eat a organic, real, like not a big, like fake orange, but a real organic orange. I'd rather them get the diverse nutrients and the vitamin C that way. But if they're not going to do that, then I'm going to recommend a supplement that is what's called a whole food vitamin C source. The vitamin C has been sourced from specific types of cherries and other types of foods where you're getting the whole molecule. And then lastly, then it would be ascorbic acid and maybe liposomal ascorbic acid. I will tell you that during COVID, and if I'm getting sick at all, if I feel like my body might be struggling, if my oral membranes feel like they're just a little bit inflamed for some reason, I do use a liposomal vitamin C and I'll soak it around in my mouth and let it all absorb and then swallow it down. And I might use higher doses because liposomal vitamin C is not going to cause gut distress. It's absorbed into the body. And we have some clinical studies 
in patients in ICU settings that when they used liposomal vitamin C, as opposed to like just oral ascorbic acid, that you had much improved penetration directly into cells. You bypassed that transportation limitation with the number of receptors available for the vitamin C. And so I will use liposomal vitamin C when I feel like my body needs some antioxidant help. Um, and I can tell that it seems to work. It seems to make a difference. But from a foundational daily standpoint, what do I do? I try to rotate citrus into my diet regularly. And because my own vitamin C levels have tended to stay on the low side, and I have genetics to suggest I need more vitamin C than the average human who everybody needs it, I will use a specific whole food vitamin C supplement, around 400 milligrams that I might take half the days of the week. So in the liposomal uh, vitamin C, that is that like in a packet or, a, or is it a... Uh, it's always in like oil. Um, yeah. I, the brand that I use is Quicksilver. They make okay. a great like vitamin C. And then for the whole food vitamin C, and we'll provide another link for that because with this one we do have a link for, it's the Paleo Valley whole food vitamin C capsules. It's my favorite one. Now, what are your thoughts? And I won't call any names out so that, you know, like we've said before, we don't want to get in trouble with anybody out that's producing this stuff. But the the packets of granular stuff that you mix with water to take during, when, during cold season, like you feel something coming on. Because we, Jimlin and I switched to the organic gel type one that you're talking about that came in a packet for that that kind of boost if you need it. Uh, but there are some others. What are your thoughts on those? You know what? I think maybe better than nothing. Okay. If you're, you know, if you, if you, because most people who aren't, you know, getting this kind of data or are not at least starting foundational stacks like we're talking about are depleted in minerals and they're depleted in vitamin C and other important antioxidants. So even though the mass produced packets in the store might just be, you know, highly, you know, I don't know where manufactured ascorbic acid with some sugar and some additives and stuff like that. I think it's probably going to be more helpful if they're trying to deal with uh, a virus to okay. add it. I would rather people use more pure sources though, like liposomal vitamin C and the bean minerals, which we'll talk about later for their minerals. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. So that takes us through vitamin C now. Vitamin D. Into, yeah. We're back into some fats now. Yeah. Uh, we see D3, which of course is the ultimate form of D that the body's using. And what we do care about is what's available in the cell. Now, a lot of this has to do with the health of the cell. Uh, you know, vitamin D, you can see that our base vitamin 25 hydroxy levels are very good. So we don't have a problem there. And that's the initial, you take vitamin D, the best source, I, my favorite source of vitamin D from a food is either liver or cod liver oil, because that's rich in natural vitamin D food sources. Your body then converts it into, it, it hydroxylates it, it puts that OH group on it. And the first place is in the kidneys. And then it also does that in the skin and sunlight helps convert that. Well, D3 is our ultimate form, and we can see she has some, but it's very poor here. So we're either not getting it in the cell or the cell is consuming it one way or the other. And so well, she does need more D3. Now, how am I going to go about this one? The traditional thing would be just let's put her on D3 and K2. I'll go ahead and show you her. We'll come back up here. But here's a vitamin K1, which is converted into K2, and this is heavily dependent upon gut biome issues. So you can see vitamin K1, which is primarily you're going to get from plants, um, is eh and eh. A lot of times we're bypassing that and going straight to the vitamin K2, which is eh and eh here. Mm. Um, so we're not looking great there. And D3 and K2 are critically important together, two fat-soluble nutrients. Now, again, my favorite dietary source to get both 
D3 and K2 from real food instead of synthetic is liver, right? Because liver actually has D3 and K2 in it. And then the phytonutrient blends, like the greens, the different greens we can use if they're well-crafted, will usually have plenty of K1. And if you have a healthy biome, those levels go up. So we're not going to really directly put her on a bunch of vitamin K. We're going to work on the gut biome and we're going to get her on the right type of phytonutrient support to support K1, which gets converted to K2. And then I would rather than say, oh, let's just put her on a bunch of synthetic D3. Um, although I might in her case, because she has so much connective tissue inflammation and that's probably going to help reduce it and help her feel better. My long game is to get her on either oral eating, eating liver or taking the, uh, you know, well, you know, the really purified liver capsules as a food source along with some cod liver oil and then fixing gut issues and getting her on the phytonutrient blend for the K1 and then remeasure. In my experience, if you could, if you, if you take care of the gut issues, then you use that what path, you will then see optimization of D, D3, K1 and K2. And you're doing it all through natural pathways from food. You know, even if it was in powders and capsules, it was actually food. It was liver and cod liver oil and a whole lot of organic, varied greens that came to you in the form of powder. And that to me is part of a sustainable protocol where you're using potentially a phytonutrient powder as part of your daily habit matrix, possibly blended with some protein and maybe some fiber. And then you're getting liver in your diet or you're taking it in a capsule form. I look at liver as a, you know, unless you're a vegan and if you are, we'll talk about it. We would need to do a special episode actually for vegans. How are they going to solve these problems? Actually, we, Jason, we need to do that for That's people. Yeah, because we can, we can definitely talk about how do I approach this for people who are vegan? Cause I do see some vegans and we see serious micronutrient challenges and they're committed vegans. So we have to find a way to overcome and we do. And we'll do a separate episode for now. Let's just focus on omnivores. Um, ultimately part of my minimalistic sustained approach, cause I'm not going to start buying and preparing liver. Not right now. I don't know how to do it. It, it, it just be a problem. I'm going to continue to use the liver capsules that are listed on my protocols to get my daily dose, my one ounce of liver. And I'm going to use cod liver oil to get vitamin A and vitamin D and additional omega-3s from a food source. But I'm not taking synthetic vitamin D3, K2, or K1 or anything else. So I feel like that's the best approach. And that's what I would do with this patient. Short term, I would go ahead and put her also on a dose of D3, K2 just to improve those levels uh, while we're working on fortifying the system the proper way. You know, one of the things that I think I've thought about doing because um, one of my consulting clients, they have a uh, bison ranch up in Oklahoma and he gave me some bison liver. And mm -hmm. I, I saw one time where Ben Greenfield was putting, they look like little Reese's peanut butter cups, but yep. it was liver that he had ground up and put in freezer trays and was putting that in his protein shake. He says yep. you can't taste it. So the next green monster you have, whenever you come to town, we might have to throw some frozen liver in there and see what it tastes like. You know what? And I'm a fan of that. Like apparently if you freeze it, you can yeah. really get some of the issues. And, you know, if you get like from a healthy cattle, calf liver, mm -hmm. uh, very inexpensive. Yeah. And, you don't have to take more capsules. 
So ultimately, I, again, long game, I think that's a better way to do it. I just don't have the bandwidth right now to try and engineer that for myself. But I think that would be if one of my patients said that's what they wanted to do, I'd be like, go for it. I think that's great. All right. Well, we're going to try it the next time you're in town. We're going to blend up some liver in our green monster. Yeah. So now, so we have other fast soluble. Now look at vitamin E, another fast soluble nutrient, another important antioxidant. Low, low, right? In a person with measurable inflammatory response in oxidative stress and who's reporting symptoms. So we need to improve this. Um, in this particular case, I, I focused on the tocotrienol form of vitamin E because I feel like that's more potent and had her, you know, add a blend uh, to fiber blend that has like ground nuts and seeds that has some vitamin E in addition to fiber. Now, the version, the primary source of tocotrienol vitamin E is either palm oil, but it needs to be organic, not mass produced, but organic, you know, palm oil, especially red palm oil, or the annatto plant, A-N-N-A-T-T-O. The annatto plant is a great source of tocotrienols. And there is a product, I don't have a relationship with them available on Amazon, that they sell the annatto-based tocotrienols. And I'll have, like in her case, I had her take that. So again, now what we see for this individual, many reasons why on a cellular level, she would be already disposed to inflammation, oxidative stress, and fatigue, uh, poor mitochondrial function, just based on micronutrients, not other factors. So if we just put her on peptides to try and improve metabolic health and uh, you know go downstream to the big gun mitochondrial support to improve energy and peptides for inflammation, and we don't fix this, then we're like just, you know, we're kind of pouring water on a oil fire where the oil is continuing to bleed in all the time. Um, so we got to go get this fixed. And then I'm curious, how much of a problem does she still have? Right. Now, in her case, there's other issues between gut and toxicant and stuff that we need to fix that are problematic. But I know this is a big part of why she's not feeling well. I think one well, of the things, real quick, I think that you just touched on something there that I think a lot of people need to hear is that when, when it comes to feeling hungry, uh, having lack of energy, poor sleep, you're waking up a lot during the middle of the night, you're, you're just not able to sleep through the night, or you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. So much of it, people think, or uh, many people think that, well, I've got to completely change all aspects of my life. If you just start taking little pieces of the puzzle and putting them in place, like right now, today, we're talking about fix the micronutrient component and what, see what that does. And once you start feeling a little better, then it's like, then you'll want to take that next step of getting to moving more and then starting to you know look at your, your food choices and what they can do for you. It, I think it's important for people to hear that because a lot of times, and that's one of the things that Gus and I both, you know, to, to go ahead and be so bold as to speak a little bit for Gus here is that the reason why we're doing this is we want every single human being within an earshot of our voices to realize you can take control of your health and you don't have to go start running triathlons or join a CrossFit box or just do something nutty and crazy. You don't have to start fasting for 36 hours a week or you don't have to do these nutty things. You can just start at the very, like literally what we're talking about today, starting at the molecular level and making these changes 
and tackling your health in a, in a we we use it for v- very deliberate reasons in a, an authentic fashion figuring out the way your body was meant to uh to behave and and in, in giving it the supplement and the, the supplementation and the and the help it needs to actually function at its greatest potential so i just think it's important because you just that's a great point you make there doc is just just do this. Just get this right and see what happens and see yeah. see how much more how much better you can feel. Yeah, it's amazing, especially again as we've walked through gut toxic and micronutrient, which is overwhelming to people because we end up with a protocol for each issue. We got to detox yeah. do a gut protocol and then we need to really push the micronutrients in. But you get to the other side of that and as we discussed in the one of the earlier ones, 80 to 90% of why you chose to invest in a process like this if you did it because of concerns of poor health are resolved. Hey, they're resolved. Yep. And and you're like, oh, I didn't actually need to go spend thousands of dollars on all these fancy peptides and technologies. You can, and you can get more 10 or 20% more yield, but you don't have to. Right. Yeah. So thank you for that. It's really important. So now we're into some minerals, calcium, and you can see this is a transportation issue. And I'll commonly, if anything, see too much calcium because a lot of postmenopausal women are taking these high doses of calcium salts because they've been told they need to for their bones. And doing that independent of addressing magnesium, boron, and uh, collagen and amino acids and vitamin D3 and K2 is actually not good. It could increase arterial calcification formation. So I don't actually use a lot of calcium, even in postmenopausal patients with bone issues. I use a comprehensive mineral support approach and you know vitamin D and K, and then we focus on the right stimulus for bone growth. Manganese is a little bit on the low side. Zinc, you know, transportation issue here, depleted intracellularly. Same thing with copper, and this gets into immune system function. Chromium is very good. Uh, Iron is, if anything, a little bit high, but it's okay. And then magnesium levels look okay. I'm good with that. The copper to the zinc ratio is good, which is a very important ratio, but it's not good in that both of the internal levels are low. Now this, I'm going to pause on because this one's so critical, choline. Choline is a fascinating molecule. It's both a water-soluble and fat-soluble nutrient that we can get from both plant and animal foods. It is used so ubiquitously in the human system, critical in the brain, critical for the formation of both a neurotransmitter that works in the brain for learning, acetylcholine, and the neuromuscular junctions for motor function, critical for transportation of fats out of the liver and critical per cell membrane. Choline, choline, choline. I just want to impress this because at virtually everyone's deficient at intake in choline. The, and you can see where she is, right? She's got some out here, but not a lot in here. This is a big problem. It's also part of why she has this high homocysteine level that's contributing to her inflammation. So genetics can really influence your choline requirement. There are both direct genetics for how you assimilate choline, which are on the genetic reports that I'm beginning to work on with this company. But there are also the methylation genetics that have to do with MTHFR function. Because if you have one of the common variants where you don't have a fast enzyme, you double your choline requirement to get the job done. So I, I want everybody to get more choline. Now, there are a lot of different ways of getting choline. There are choline salts like choline, cit- choline citrate and choline bitartrate. That's what was in the thorn product, choline citrate. Choline salts are okay, but I don't think they're the best way to get your choline. The best source 
uh, if you're supplementing is to get what I, uh, either, you know, phosphatidylcholine, which we'll talk about in a moment, which is a phospholipid, and also potentially for the brain impact. And this is often in pre-workout formulas or focus formulas. It's called alpha GPC, and that's a good form of choline supplementation. Now, in, uh, for choline, the phosphatidylcholine, that phospholipid is critical. Jason knows this, and if you've listened to my prior podcast or look at any of the other protocols, phospholipids are a part of every foundational protocol I build. I take a phospholipid complex. I have all my patients take them. I have my children take them. I have my parents take them. I have my wife take them. I think every single one of us needs more phospho, phospholipid support. They, they're the backbone of cell membrane plus many other roles. So we get the phospholipids in there, but we also get the choline. And then we also get, because phospholipids are often commonly bound to other molecules, typically what we call amino acid metabolites like inositol, and later you'll see serine. And so um, I address this two ways. One, dietarily. If they're an omnivore and they don't have an allergy, I'm like, eat pasture-raised, you know, true pasture-raised eggs with the yolk and make sure the yolk is somewhat runny because that is the best source of dietary choline you can get is egg yolk lecithin. It really? is, found, yes, hands down the best source. So for my patients who are omnivores, and I don't ever take them off of eggs because of cholesterol or saturated fat issues, only if they had an egg allergy or an egg sensitivity, or perhaps they have challenges with high sulfur because eggs have more sulfur. Then otherwise for everyone, if they like them, I'm like, have two or three eggs with a runny yolk every day that you can, like, because you'll get B vitamins, omega-3s, many other nutrients, you know, biotin, lots of protein, and lots of choline. So that, and then liver. Liver is my other favorite source of choline. Here it comes again, the liver, right, that provides so many of these nutrients. Liver went missing through our diet, and guess what happened? A lot of these deficiencies developed. Yeah. My, uh, my grandparents who grew up dirt poor. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, they ate liver. Yeah. Liver and, and onions, they, baby. Same here with my grandparents. And they took cod liver oil. They knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they knew it was <laughs> they, they, they had intuitive intelligence. They didn't know any of this stuff, but they had intuitive intelligence about the body that was handed down through generations. Yep. So this is a critical deficiency for this individual, and we have to fix it. And this is part of why she's dealing with, you know, her cognitive fatigue and depression symptoms and feels like she's memory is not good is this choline deficiency. So we're going to improve transportation, but we're just going to push this way up. So I like both egg yolks, liver, which we're already putting on liver capsules, and this phospho, uh, this body biophospholipid complex, which we can put into the show notes as a link. Yeah. That would be an affiliate link just so people know. Because we move on to this amino acid metabolite, inositol, it's really important. Very important in brain health studies showing low inositol can contribute to depression, but also improve important in muscle function and many other things. And we can see here also low inside the cell. So that phospholipid complex includes phosphatidyl inositol. So we're getting phospholipids and inositol and choline. Carnitine, critical for fat transportation into the mitochondria. Most of my patients who are on either weight loss protocols or high-performance protocols will supplement with carnitine. She's already supplementing with carnitine, and you can see her levels. Now, some people are going to be told they don't use dietary carnitine supplementation because of something called TMAO. I don't want to get into that right now. 
I think the data is dubious on the linkage between, uh, I, there's not, it's not dubious on the linkage between choline, carnitine, and the formation of TMAO and, or TMA in the gut biome and then the conversion to TMAO. It's dubious on whether the high levels of TMAO that might be have an association with arterial plaques are actually due to choline and carnitine. Based on the weight of the data that I've looked at right now, I think that you're at far greater health risk in the future being deficient in carnitine and choline than you are at avoiding those because you're concerned about TMAOs. Based on what we have, I think it's a, I think that it's folly to just say, oh, I'm going to avoid choline and carnitine because I have high TMAO. I do not think that's a smart strategy. Okay. But if your doctor told you to do that, then do what your doctor said until you get possibly different advice. I'm going to skip through these. Sodium, potassium are fine. Um, so now we're getting into some amino acids again. And we see that asparagine, which is a amino acid, but it's also derived from glutamine. The levels are so-so. I don't directly supplement asparagine. I do make sure everybody's getting plenty of protein as we've emphasized. And if they do have insufficient glutamine, then I push glutamine because glutamine plays a lot of important roles, especially in gut healing. And because of her gut study, I already have her on some glutamine support uh, because we're trying to get her gut barrier to heal up. Serine isn't too bad for her, although it's lowish. So serine is another amino acid metabolite. Serine is produced from glycine naturally in the body if you have enough glycine. Serine also has a role in the brain and studies have shown that both mood and anxiety levels and sleep quality are, infect are affected by serine. Mostly this looks like a transportation issue because I also have her own glycine support. Um, and we're going to talk guys, about- Real quick, yeah. are these what are deemed the essential amino acids? No. Okay. Essential. Are these yeah. the branch chain? And what are the what's the difference that this audience knows? These are not, these are not branch chain either. Okay. Right? So the the essential are the eight, some argue nine, some argue ten, mm -hmm. essential that your body cannot produce. Okay. We have a few of the branch chain essentials below. Right now, we're looking at what are non-essential, meaning the body should be producing them, but oftentimes we need more comprehensive protein support to maintain those levels. Okay. I just want to make sure because I think that, again, it goes back to like the complexes that when it comes to amino acids, I know that's something that it was much later in my health journey that I learned the difference between each type of amino acid and which ones I needed to incorporate for supplementation. So, yeah. I just want to make so sure. for me, as you know, I believe in having a high protein overall target mm -hmm. that yep. includes a combination of complete protein and essential amino acid supplementation. Um, that's based on my understanding to date. It could morph over time. Thus far, my patients who embrace that philosophy and have embraced it now for several years seem to get consistently good results, both subjectively and objectively. So I place them on the essential amino acid blend that we talk about often. And I will have them, but one, get complete protein. If they're going to be an omnivore, then I, I emphasize the most highly utilizable sources of protein with the most nutrient density. So I'm not against plants in any way, shape, or form, but I do have people focus their intake of protein on eggs and ruminant animals, beef, bison, elk, venison, because those are the most highly utilizable for the body and also contain a lot of other nutrients that are critical for the body. You ask about chicken and pork. Well, I think those can be good sources of protein. The problem is that the vast majority of chicken and pork, the fatty acid balance is not good, and if it's not 
pasture raised and it's hard to find, then you're going to get glyphosate and all kinds of other stuff that's contaminated in the feed. So I'm not saying don't consume any, but I wouldn't make that the hub of my source of protein. Then I moved to seafood, which I used to be a huge fan of, but now due to the accumulation of toxicants in the ocean, I'm much more, you know, kind of moderate and recommending seafood. Wild caught fish, I do think shellfish can be good for you. But again, there's so much, not just heavy metals, but microplastics and things that are getting into these creatures in the sea. And so now I'm like, if you want to do seafood for the nutrients, then go with the small fish, the sardines, the packages of mackerel, the, you know, wild caught trout that you can get in the packages and perhaps the small cans of mussels that come from you know, areas of non-contaminated ocean and maybe get your seafood that way. I, I actually like, think fish eggs are incredible, but, you know, caviar, really good quality caviar is expensive. Eating some is good for you. I do like the fish oil capsules. They stink to high heaven, <laughs> but they're like eating fish eggs. And that's a great way to get your omega-3s. But for protein, I'll also, uh, if people are you know, open to it, then complementing that with a powdered form of high quality whey or a blend of pea and rice plant protein, then that's fine too, as long as they're reaching that protein target. So let's just say you said, well, Gus, I eat my green monster and I put, how much protein do you put in that? I think I'm getting like 23 grams. Okay. So you got 23 grams there and you're not really eating a whole lot else till you have your mm -hmm. dinner. And let's just say you do eat uh, a, a big piece of uh, uh, good quality beef at dinner and you get another 30 or 35 grams. All right. So now we're, for Mr. Wright, we're up to about 58 grams of protein. And then maybe there's some other odds and ends, some of the vegetables you ate or grains or whatever else you ate where you got another 10 grams. Now, do you have any other sources of protein during the day in your diet? No, that's, that's where one of my deficiencies for sure. Yeah, so now Mr. Wright is not even halfway to his protein target yep. with what he consumed, but he's not hungry. Right? So it's going to be really hard for him to go eat yep. two more steaks or yep. whatever else. So that's where with him, I'm like, okay, let's take our essential amino acids. Let's count each Which five, I do. Which I do. Yeah, let's, let's count each five tablet portion as 25 grams of effective protein. Now, that's more complex than I just said, but we're trying to just do this for today for today's sake. You know, again, we're going to make bite-sized learning chunks on protein and amino acids for you guys, but we're covering big picture today. But so for Jason, I'd be like, you need to get at least three portions of those aminos a day. At times, you're not eating complete protein. So for Jason, since he's not really eating in the morning, I'd be like, when you wake up, take five or 10 of those amino acids, and then you eat your green monster. And then halfway through the afternoon, maybe around the time you're going to work out, take another five or 10. And then you have your portion at dinner of uh, protein. And then if you're up for it and you haven't eaten anything in hours, take five more at bedtime because that's not going to break a fast. It's not going to create an insulin response and it will re re support recovery. Now, Jason is hitting his robust protein target without having to eat a whole lot more food. And he's actually hitting it more efficiently because provided he got good sources of complete protein, those essentials are done. They don't go, have to pass through the digestive process. You don't have this loss of efficiency and how much gets into your system. They're not pushed through nitrogen detox pathways. They're not converted to glucose. They're just utilized for protein synthesis. So that's how I'm going to take Jason and try and help him reach his protein target. 
And that's one of the things that since you taught me that that is like this, basically what you described is what I do to make up for that deficit is the first thing I do when I get up in the morning is big glass of water with um, five amino acids because I'm not going to eat anything for you know that morning. And then uh, I'll have the green monster. And then later in the afternoon, uh, in between the green monster and dinner, I'm going to have at least five more amino acids. I haven't been taking them before bed. But that's generally how I've tried to make it for the deficit. And also, uh, it just so the listener knows, if you are fasting, that it, it will give you that nutrient hit that you need to succumb, you know, to kind of uh, pacify whatever hunger pangs you may need. Because again, working with Dr. Gus, you will figure out that a lot of times a hunger signal is just a lack of nutrition signal. It's not, I need to go eat a cheeseburger. It's just, I need some essential nutrients, not just volume and calories. We, we were so wired to think that every time I'm hungry, that means one thing. I need calories, but that's not always the case. That's critical. So there is an element of hunger that is derived based on circadian biology and what are called intestinal peptides and your gut's been empty for a while and you feel that in your gut, that kind of hunger. That's brief and passes typically within 15 minutes. You go do something else, get focused, do a little bit of exercise, that goes away. But then there's the craving and I'm bored and I'm restless and I want some dopamine and serotonin so I go eat whatever that gives that to me. Um, or you get that sugary caffeinated beverage, which gives you a stimulant. The, but really the vast majority of hunger is either you know hydration, minerals, amino acids, or fatty acids or nutrients. And so when you're already topping these things off, uh, consistently and then keeping them available for those times where you don't have a lot of time to eat, what you find is that your hunger signal is not nearly as strong as you once thought it was. So that is a, for, you know, a lot, most people who come to me need to start on a body recomp protocol. Most of them do. And most of them are not dealing with issues where they don't, you know, obviously have an adequate energy storage where they would really need to eat more calories. And they're consistently shocked within four to eight weeks of using nutrient support and especially using the amino acids, how that will satisfy hunger and turn off cravings. And I will include again, the uh, for those of you who have not seen it, I'll include, I'm going to make a note here, the body body composition handbook that you you drafted that we put together. Um, I'll put that on in the show notes as well, I'll link to that. So people, folks, you can download that it's free of charge. No, just if you want it, there it is. Great information for body composition. Yeah. So then we get into arginine, which some say is an essential amino acid, some say not. I say not, but in selective cases, we may supplement it. Arginine is used for many things, but it's also the first, it's the source of nitrogen for nitric oxide production. If this primary nitric oxide system is working well, we'll, we'll be doing an episode on nitric oxide and glutathione, a special section, because those are foundational too. That might be the next thing we do, Jason, because that's- I love that. I address- but so it's really important to have adequate levels of arginine. Um, and some people, if they're not consuming, I, I went through this when I went through my own body comp protocol and hardly ate anything for six weeks while I was already lean and I added muscle and lost weight and was shocked at the response. But when I did a follow-up micronutrient panel, I was using a lot of amino acids, but not eating much complete protein. My arginine was on the low side. And I actually added an arginine tablet to my essentials just once a day to boost that up. But no, since then I've, I've been eating more and more protein and that should take care of it. But that's where I like this panel because I can decide who do I want to add arginine and who do I not. 
Citrulline is further down the arginine pathway. Eventually, you make citrulline, which feeds into the nitric oxide pathway. It's very complex to describe why she may have adequate arginine, but not citrulline. So we can get into that into the nitric oxide episode. But clearly, we need support here. She needs nitrate, not nitric oxide support, which we'll talk about next week. Um, and now we got branch chain essential amino acids. Isoleucine, critical for anabolics, pretty low. Valine actually looks pretty good. Leucine, so-so. Now, this is someone who I've already got, I've already initiated supplement with amino acids because of the findings on gut and for her concerns of connective tissue health. So this is not looking too bad for her, especially fasting. You don't expect to see these be sky high in a fasting state, but you want to be able to at least measure them. Individuals who are not yet aware of the priority of protein and meeting that target or supplementing typically are way down here on all these branch chains, which are critical to create this signal for muscle development, for maintaining your muscle mass. And uh, part of the reason why those essentials work so well is that the three amino acids that are the triggers for the sensor for protein synthesis, the building of all structure and function of your body, are all three are essential amino acids, methionine, and lysine, and leucine. And if you're not getting those consistently at proper ratios, your body is just not, you know, I don't, I don't want to say this comprehensively, it's more complicated, but essentially you're tilted towards breaking down your body to maintain what you need rather than building up your body. And so again, we'll cover mTOR and AMPK in a deep session another time. For now, the average listener does not need to think about such things. You need to optimize availability of amino acids and focus on giving your body what it needs, not worrying about overstimulating a growth pathway. The overstimulation of that growth pathway is based on overconsumption of food, not maintaining proper levels of amino acids. And this is just so critical because every protein and enzyme in your body that is the main source of structure and function of everything is made out of amino acids. Yes, your body maintains a reserve pool of amino acids and it can use those. We don't, once we get optimized, we don't have to do this every day. I take breaks from my supplement protocol and just allow my body to use its normal reserves and make sure that I keep those systems trained and then I get back onto them. But most people just need to get on it and stay on it for a while. Uh, to start. Now, CoQ10 is a critical fat-soluble compound. It's both a part of what's called your electron transport chain, how you make energy in your mitochondria, and it's a very important antioxidant. It helps manage the exhaust load. So you can see, once again, we've got real issues inside the cell, and this is critical for this person who I know has real issues regarding mitochondrial performance and health and cell membrane health. Cysteine, Commonly deficient, it's the base, it's one of the base compounds for glutathione. It's also critical for your immune system. Most of my patients will be taking N-acetylcysteine, not all. In her case, she was already taking it and the levels look good. And then glutathione, which we'll talk about next week. Master antioxidant, that nitric oxide, you've got to make sure they're available. Strong genetic influences and age-related influences on the availability of these critical antioxidants. And they're depleted because of our, the environmental toxicant issue. Glutathione is built out of amino acids and minerals. Uh, and so, uh, essentially, if you're not getting sufficient levels of nutrient support, you won't make as much glutathione. 
as we age, we make even less and then it's getting consumed. Alcohol consumes an enormous amount of glutathione to detox ethanol. So for her, because of oxidative stress and inflammatory issues, we want the levels up here. Jason, you can guess what product she's now on for glutathione. Oh, yeah, I know exactly. Nyan Patel's. And we'll be talking about that next week when we yeah. talk about nitric glutathione. Selenium is critical for many things, but including nitric uh, including uh, glutathione production. So oh, wait, Gus, I want to say something to the listener real quick. Before, they, before you run out, because I, I know we have tendency to hear, especially a physician, say something like glutathione how, and how, how great it is, even though we've talked about all these other supplements. And you may want to run out, and, and just as a kind of a precursor for next week's show, if you listen to, to that or when you listen to it, uh, glutathione, the one that we recommend, or not recommend, that we take ourselves, we use, and it, uh, made by our friend, um, Aura Health is uh, is the name of the company, correct, Gus? Yeah, we A-U-R-O. Yeah. And we have, we can save people a lot of money. It's an expensive product. I have a good link for that. So if you want to order it, and honestly, we direct serve a lot of people through our office, and Nyan allows me to price it way down compared to his retail pricing. So people who are, I would tell people, wait until you hear us next week. Before yeah, you pull exactly. That's, and it's not just to, to try to put, push you into Nyan's product, but the thing is, if you go out there and take an oral supplement, you're not going to get the benefit. And then Nyan Patel that we're talking about, he is the guy who created the methodology for this topical solution to, so that your body can actually absorb the glutathione because it's, an, it's what's so tricky about this stuff, Gus, is that some of it, just the body, like uh, berberine is one of those, it's real tough. You got to load it up to get the body to actually absorb it. So just folks, just kind of as a, as a sidebar, as we go through these things, just listen to the in the weed stuff that we go through, because sometimes you can't just go out and buy the cheapest, pop it and hope that you're going to get the results. You're just, you're kind of pissing your money away. So I just wanted to make sure that people didn't run out and go buy some over-the-counter, or it's all over-the-counter, but yeah. some Don't do capsule. That. Wait, wait till next week. We're going to do a deep dive on glutathione and nitric yeah. oxide, and I'll explain more about Nyan's product and how it stands out and why and what the difference is. And then it doesn't negate the need to still support internal glutathione production. So we'll be covering that in nitric oxide in detail. Cool. Um, but yeah, so don't do anything yet. Let, let Wait and then you know take advantage of our relationship so that you, if you want to support this, you can support it in a much more cost-effective way. Um, yeah, and then here are uh, concentrations of important omega-3 fatty acids. EPA, very low. DPA, so-so. DHA, very low. Total omega-3s, very low. Um, linoleic acid, which we'll cover on another time, actually appropriate. This is a woman who fasts a lot and is very careful with her diet. I was surprised arachidonic acid levels weren't higher given her inflammatory state. Again, a topic for a different day. Total omega-6 looks appropriate, but not appropriate because her omega-3 is too low. That's what's skewing this ratio. She doesn't have enough EPA to counterbalance. And so her omega-3 index, which is based on a percent of the cell membrane that is in the form of omega-3 fatty acids, is atrocious. It's 4%. It should be 8 to 12%. And for this person who's dealing with inflammatory issues, I would target 10 to 12%. So very deficient. And these fatty acids, part of that's gut. She was taking omega-3. She's not absorbing them all. Uh, and we had to fix digestive processes and biliary processes so we can get these fats into our system. So once again, it's a complex interdependency of systems. It's not just throw a bunch in. That said, every patient that I see needs more omega-3 support unless they're eating a can of sardines every day. So backing up, 
a case study on a middle-aged female, only one piece of data that we're looking at for her. This is a person with brain fatigue, uh, physical fatigue, inflammatory issues, real serious connective tissue issues, and are just struggling, uh, you know, not depressed, but really struggling with mood and just maintaining a sense of well-being. And what do we see? Well, we see especially critical the fatty acids. I just want to stop and say, everybody that I work with needs more fatty acid support. The brain is basically fat, fat and protein. Like, and I see these deficiencies in omega-3 fatty acids, fat-soluble nutrients, tocotrienols. And I have a test that we can measure plasmalogens, serious deficiency in plasmalogens. We're not even talking about those today. That's what's causing uh, I don't want to say that's what's causing. That is a major contributor to mental fatigue, physical, physical fatigue, depression symptoms, mo mood, motivational issues, memory issues, and brain atrophy over time. Loss of myelin, loss of white matter, loss of gray matter. And this can be prevented by just giving the body these fatty acids it needs. I mean, across the board, what you see in this individual, deficient omega-3 fatty acids. I, I can promise you when I run her cell membrane uh, test for fatty acids, we're going to see deficiencies in plasmalogens, right? Then we have deficiencies not, or insufficiencies. I won't call them deficiencies in uh, vitamin D, vitamin E, um, not optimal vitamin A or retinol, choline, phosphatidylcholine, critical, critical components of cell membranes and mitochondrial membranes. We have to fix that. So we are supplementing heavily, but also working on the gut to fix that. Then we see, you know, across the board, uh, you know, lower levels of B vitamins, amino acid metabolites, a, a lot of stuff um, that just isn't anywhere near it needs to be. Now, a big theme on this panel has been, hey, well, it's not so bad outside the cell and then it's not inside the cell. So what's going on there? And let me just stop the share, screen share. You tell me, Jason, if this works properly when I do this. Um, here we go. Stop sharing. Come back. Are we good? Yep. Here's got three of us. Okay, good. So what's going on here? Well, we've got to get these nutrients into cells. And this isn't the only answer to it, but it's a big part of it. So it, fulvic and humic acid are two mineral complexes that aren't considered essential nutrients, although I think they should be. They're not innate in the earth's soil the way uh, they are, but they're not in the sense that they're not just there like iron and copper and some of the other minerals. They're there because the biome of the soil, all the different microorganisms would create these mineral complexes as a byproduct of degrading or fermenting plant products. And so our soil prior to us destroying it was rich in fulvic and humic complexes, which are very large mineral-like complexes that ended up being integrated into our food that we ate and in the water that we drank. And fulvic and humic, it turned out, were nature's detox agents. They were helping a detox oxidants and other things that could have been in the food. They have a positive impact on the gut biome, but they're also nutrient transporters. They help deliver nutrients not only from the gut, but into the bloodstream, but also once they're in the bloodstream, into the cell itself. They help actively transport nutrients into the cell. So that's a big missing piece for most people. So I have all of my patients use, uh, there's different ways to get them. I really love the company Beam Minerals, BA Minerals. We'll put a link to the products there. 
I have them all use it. They're affordable. They're brilliant solutions. They're comprehensive mineral support and electrolyte support with fulvic and humic from very pure sources. And so a lot of times with someone like this protocol here, this profile here that we just looked at, just introducing fulvic and humic, it's not going to bring everything up to above average levels, but it is going to even out that transportation issue so that now what was decent in the blood is getting into the cell and can be utilized by the cell. My hope will be, I'm just beginning to run these experiments and tests, so I don't know over time. I'm looking at it through a lens of what do we know from the science, but my hope is that as I see this consistent utilization of fulvic humic complexes, along with proper nutrient support as much as possible through food-based sources, that we're going to see that our actual supplement amount that we need to maintain nutrient density is much smaller than previously thought, and we can begin to reduce the doses on all of this. Uh, but that's a, a rolling experiment for me that'll, you know, it'll take just more case studies and case studies for me to be able to validate that. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, the fulvic and humic, which we're not measuring on our study, which, you know, I know we're deficient because she wasn't using it, are a part of how we fix this picture. So what do we do in this particular case? Um, we're already working on gut intoxicant, getting rid of glyphosate and things we already talked about. We're already improving digestive function and gut biome for the interplay with vitamin K1 and K2. We're trying to add food, either food or food-based sources for these nutrients. So liver, cod liver oil, obviously egg yolks that we've already spoken about, good sources of protein. And then and I'm not, I'm not here to give the whole list of plants, although I've recommended rotations of healthy organic produce for her as well that preferably locally grown, nutrient dense. But then we're replacing B vitamins. We're improving vitamin E levels, vitamin C levels, preferably with whole food sources. Uh, the cod liver oil is taking care of the retinol. It's improving also potentially more vitamin D substrate. We're adding some D3K2, at least temporarily, just to kind of put out a fire while we try to build it up from the internal processes. And we're adding phospholipid complexes for choline, inositol, and serine. She's already on essential amino acids. We're adding omega-3 fatty acids and fulvic and humic to improve transportation. Uh, because the CoQ10 was depleted in the cell, I actually placed her on an elixir form of CoQ10 where it's bound to lipids so it gets delivered into the mitochondria where it can be used and improve mitochondrial performance. That sounds like a lot, but the actual end result of her stack might look really big to people who don't supplement at all. But the combination of those things I just discussed, it's relatively small. It's, you know, a handful of capsules and a, a little bit of an oil-based elixir and some phytonutrient powders. It's not a, as much as you think. And the end result is we fix those things. And the end result of that is many of the challenges she's experiencing will be improved, not fully resolved because there's other factors, but they're going to be dramatically improved uh, based on just fixing the nutrient issue. All right. So the first question is how much does this panel cost? Oh, the, uh, the micronutrient panel. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'll have to look. I sh I'm sorry, Jason. I will tell you that a, panel with an hour with a functional medicine health coach to interpret mm -hmm. it and design a stack is somewhere around 400 or $450. Okay. And I, I guess on that, I mean, you can price that however you want, but like if somebody goes to their physician or whoever the integrated medicine person is in their market, is that going to be kind of what they should expect? I mean, is it get, or does, the, does that price fluctuate yeah, much? I don't know. I don't know how other physicians are pricing it. In this particular case, you know, the we're offering it with a health coach yeah. who's perfect 
competent to interpret it, which is much less expensive than a physician yeah. doing it. It's integrated into my pricing. My comprehensive pricing includes it. And it's just yeah, part of right. my, the right. data. But if you go to your regular physician and ask, as, well, as we've already discussed, for a vibrant micronutrient, it's doubtful you'll be able to get it. They probably don't have a contract. You might, and it's worth asking the question. You can get through regular blood work and you can ask for this, a vitamin B level, a vitamin B12 level, a vitamin B6 level. You can get a folate level. You can get an intracellular magnesium level. So you can get some of this stuff, a CoQ10 level. You can get a cell membrane omega-3 test, but that adds up. It's And I think it's insufficient. I think it's better off to go ahead and get the full panel and then work with that. But the uh, other, there are other companies, they produce what are called organic acid tests, which is a different end around way of looking at nutrient. And in some ways it could be from a functional standpoint, more helpful, but I don't think it's as good as a way of looking at just overall status, which is what I'm interested in. And so those, and those organic acid tests are actually more expensive. So I either recommend if you can afford to get the micronutrient panel and get a health coach to interpret it with you. And you could probably, like I think I mentioned before, I think Vibrant does have a listing of clinicians so who might use the panels that you can work through. And of course, you could request it through our office, working with one of our two health coaches to get a panel and to look at the results. The other thing would be to say, hey, I'm not really doing anything extra special with my diet. I have, I'm just starting to pay attention to what, you know, Jason and you are teaching. Um, what do what I do? I'd say, well, then, you know, start at least a basic stack, like what's listed in the body comp protocol, you know, start the fat, start the omega-3, start some cod liver oil, start some liver capsules, even if it's just three of the six capsules a day, a half ounce a day of liver, start a B-complex, start some amino acids, um, go ahead and begin to layer in some support, knowing that you probably need that support. It is going to do you good. How often should people get this done? Like, for example, now that you have seen this report, you've made your recommendations to the patient, when will you see her again to determine whether or not she's moving the needle? Um, it can be done as early as six to eight weeks to see meaningful change. Um, I'll usually wait about three months just because, um, you know, it takes a while to get used to doing new things and getting sure. a new age. We're also hoping that the gut repair and digestive function issues improve this as well. We want to give that time to work and the detox protocol to work. So usually for me, it's a three months. We're doing a lot of different things at once. And now let's recheck status. Now, I'll tell you that it adds up. These tests are expensive. And the initial assessment's included in my global price, but the follow-up isn't. I would go broke if I included follow-up tests like that. And many of my patients will choose to get the data. I encourage that, especially if the cost isn't a burden to them. Many of them, they're just good. They know they're good. They feel great. And we know it worked probably. And they're just like, I don't know that I need to retest right now. Like, I don't know how I can feel better. I, you know, it's all clear that it worked. In which case I'm like, well, at least once a year, let's do this full assessment and make sure that the status hasn't changed. But then what I do, of course, after the three month intensive, as I place them on a sustainable protocol, meaning if they're going to have learned how to modify their environment, their water, their air, their products. They're probably mostly choosing organic foods. They're eating smaller portions. They've gained mitochondrial efficiency and metabolic flexibility. They're not as dependent on food as they used to be. They really enjoy the way they feel using some form of supplementation to support their body. Life gets easier. 
And so then just staying on the fulvic humic complexes and the beam minerals will do a whole lot to detox glyphosate, those small amounts you're still getting out of your system. And, you know, and then I might, depending on that person's living environment and what we know, maybe I place them on what's called a biotoxin binder once every three months, just to clear stuff out. A lot of my patients are going to invest in a sauna. They're going to be getting into a sauna three or four days a week. So they're naturally detoxing. So we try to teach them as much about how to build a lifestyle that will just sustain this. They're on rotations for their gut to maintain a healthy gut and not get into the same situation they were in before. And, you know, they're, Poop is normal and non-offensive and easy and they have no bowel issues and digestive issues and they don't have gut concerns and they don't have skin inflammation or joint inflammation. Their energy levels are awesome. They're easy. It's easy to maintain body weight. I don't, and you know, I'm like, okay, I don't know that we need to spend another $1,500 on tests right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a lot, but, yeah. uh, you know, I hope that people hung in there with us and, you know, if, even if they have to break it up into, bite-sized chunks and uh but i think that that uh i think that pretty much i don't can think of anything else that we didn't cover <laughs> i think you know just bringing it back a little bit doc is just like <clears throat> this overall idea i mean we went through here an hour and a half of what to look at going through this panel but the big the overarching message or overarching message is just just know where you are i mean in in Getting cellular health, like we were talking about earlier, cellular, cellular integrity relies on understanding where you are, what your needs are, and micronutrients are a huge portion of that. And then I guess next week we'll go into the master antioxidant, which until I met Nyan and had him on the show, I knew nothing about. And uh, and now I don't go without glutathione. The, the, I just I think it's just that important. And so that'll be really exciting. <laughs> Can I tell you a funny story? My poor mom, she um, she's so worried about her skin, you know, since as she ages. And so I told her that, I, you know, most everything comes down to, and I think I've said it on the show before, is when people ask me about what should I do? What should I do? The first thing I say is, well, first of all, you need to check your gut. Your gut biome, that's where it all starts. And so, but then if somebody just wants something, you know, for staying healthy, boost your immune system, whatever the case may be. Glutathione has become one of my go-to, hey, do you, do you take, do you have some uh, glutathione in your, uh, in your repertoire? And she put it on her face. And I will say this warning to the listener, if you get some of this stuff, it stinks. It just smells horrible. And my dad, my dad had some pretty colorful language when she put it on her face because she yeah. thought it would help her. She thought it would help her skin. I was like, yeah, don't do that. I mean, it's, it's it's good for skin health, you know, as fact as far as just keeping your, you know, keeping the antioxidants high, but don't 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 put it on your face. Yeah, that will burn. But uh, Nyan does have a skincare line that has glutathione, vitamin C, and other serums. There you and go. And you do, you do rub it on your face, but it's a much lower concentration. <laughs> yeah, the the uh, that stuff because it doesn't it doesn't smell very good. It doesn't smell good. And we'll talk <laughs> next week when we go down the rabbit hole. We'll talk about how you apply it and then how you mitigate the odor immediately so that you don't have that be a limiting factor in utilizing it. Glutathione is always one of my first go-tos. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the next episode, the glutathione and nitric oxide, it's, it's a foundation piece. We address it in every patient and we support it in every patient. Perfect. Well, Dr. Gus, all right, brother, we did it again, man. So another uh, Authentic Health Friday in the can. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you too. I hope the listeners were able to hang in there. I honestly naively thought, oh, this one will be easy to get in in under 45 minutes. 
Sorry. <laughs> you know, Bob, it's important. Hey, this is one of those, you know, where I would rather give them too much than not enough. That's for sure. A hundred percent. All right. God bless everybody. And we'll be with you in another week. Thanks, Doc. All right. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. It means more to me than you can possibly imagine. And if you enjoyed it, please consider going out to Apple and leaving us a five-star rating. That would mean the world to me. Also, follow me on Insta at Jason right now. And don't forget, download the Vitruvian Lab app. I mean it. I want to be your personal peak performance trainer. I want to help you improve always and always. Lastly, check out my newsletter, The Vitruvian Letter. You can subscribe at jasonrightnow.com. And until we meet again, please continue to endeavor to improve always in always. I'm out. <laughs>